Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. All right, let me begin with two pieces of really good news here. First piece of news is this. In 10 minutes or so, we've got a major announcement that I'm really excited about. I've been waiting for the chance to kind of unleash this information. I was finally given the green light. We teased it yesterday. We'll do it today. Big announcement coming up in about 10 minutes' time. So stick with us very close. We'll tell you all the details about that coming up in just a little bit. Also, another really uh, great piece of good news, Georgia got a big addition to its 2025 recruiting class yesterday. I want to welcome in Tay Harris into the fold here for Georgia. You may have seen the Go Dogs tweet from Kirby Smart. You may wonder what that was. Sometimes when the recruit's kind of a year away, uh, there can be some confusion. What is this? What's going on here? Well, what Georgia did was add a very good defensive back yesterday, and you see a really nice uh, graphic there from him, kind of celebrating all of that. Good news there on that front. I, I think the thing that you need to know about Harris is from Cedartown, Georgia, and that's good on the graphic. Thank you. Uh, from Cedartown, Georgia, uh, this is the same high school that Nick Chubb went to. So for me, that's sort of all I need to know. That's one of those things that like, I don't need to know more than that. Don't need to know what position he plays. Don't need to know how fast he runs. Don't need to know how big he is. If he's got any of what Nick Chubb had coming to Georgia from Cedartown, that's sort of plenty for me there on that front. So Tay Harris as a uh, part of this 2025 class from Georgia, uh, that is going to be a really good thing. But it also kind of leads us into a conversation today because uh, as Plenty of good things continue to happen for Georgia in the 2025 class, and Georgia currently has the number one class in the uh, cycle here for 2024. That still does not seemingly stop Georgia fans from doing some of what we seem to do every year around this time. And I actually pre-recorded an interview yesterday with Jeff Sintel that's going to air on Friday where I kind of joked about the fact that it sort of seems like we sort of arrived at the what's wrong with Georgia recruiting time of the year that that it seems like even having a quarterback like Dylan Ryle in the fold for this class and even having the number one overall class and even seemingly having lots of inroads still remaining with a lot of very impressive prospects that almost ensures Georgia a very good chance of being number one when this class comes to an end there's still sort of this thought of well, what's wrong with UGA recruiting? Is everything okay with Georgia recruiting? Should I be worried here? Because it's been like five minutes since Georgia announced, you know, some major commitment here for this particular class. It hasn't been that long. We talked about Chauncey Bowen just a few days ago, it seems like. But nonetheless, you know, the cycle spins pretty fast here. And a lot of Georgia fans are kind of left to wonder, well, what's going on here? And I think there's a few things that kind of brings all of this together. A, you have the fact that Jeremiah Smith, the five-star wide receiver, as we talked about on yesterday's show, kind of talked about some of the concerns he has about Georgia and the fact that the overall perception of Georgia when it comes to a lot of these elite wide receivers, that maybe hasn't changed as much as some Georgia fans would like, even in light of the success that Georgia's had on the field and the success in particular that Georgia's had offensively the last couple of years. It still seems like some major recruits haven't quite noticed that. And so when Dylan Raiola announced his pledge, immediately a lot of Georgia fans kind of turn to, okay, boom, who are the big five-star wide receivers that are going to want to join Dylan Raiola at UGA? And maybe in the last couple of weeks, just kind of fair to point out, maybe there's been a little bit of a expectations reset on that. And I think expectations reset is also kind of a fair way to describe the overall mood here, which is, you know, at one point in time, the discussion was greatest recruiting class of all time, historic. No one's ever compiled more talent. You know, Georgia going out and getting the best nationally, getting the best in-state. And while Georgia may still, as I said before, have the number one overall recruiting class, you know, the idea of this being arguably, you know, you know, or I should say maybe inarguably, undeniably the greatest class of all time. Well, you know, maybe there's been a little bit of an expectations reset on that. That may, that may be fair. Some of the in-state guys you'd like to have had, you know, Sammy Brown went to Clemson. Seems like right now Edrick Houston's very likely to go Ohio State. That's probably almost, you know, close to a done deal. And, you know, Mike Matthews hasn't quite, you know, seemingly – uh, grown in his relationship with the UGA, that there's a little bit of a, a little, little bit of a reset there on all of that. Of this may still be the number one class, but even a program like Georgia recruiting at the level that's recruiting at, it still doesn't get just everybody that wants to get. There are going to still be some kind of nose uh, along the way. And the other thing here is, we're going to be very honest about this. 
there has been over the course of the last few days a lot of growing momentum for Florida's 2024 recruiting class. I'm going to talk more about this uh, coming up here in a moment, but just at kind of face value here right now, the 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 momentum that Florida's gathered here over the course of the last couple of days, including winning the announcement from Makai Boro, just as our show came to an end uh, yesterday, a lot of that also kind of factors in this too of, you know, it sort of seems like, and it took us a while to get here, and for a while you wonder if it might actually arrive, but this year, just like last summer and the summer before that and the summer before that, there kind of comes this moment, even if it's kind of tongue-in-cheek and sort of sarcastic and jokingly, we've kind of arrived at that moment in which uh georgia fans in in some form or fashion you're sort of asking hey what's wrong with uj recruiting well you know what's, what's wrong with georgia recruiting it's been like five minutes since we announced a five-star commitment to this class uh is everything okay should we be worried is, is there some reason to be worried and it gives me a chance to sort of trot out something that i always remember i'm gonna play some audio in a minute i'm gonna go ahead and be honest with you the audio quality on this is terrible but i'm and, I, and honestly i don't know why it's quite so bad it's one of those clips i just sort of had for you know going on six years now and so for some reason i don't know if it just deteriorated in the uh in the uh uh in the file bin or or, or what happened to it but it's horrible audio quality but i'm going to play it nonetheless because i do think it tells an important story that the whole idea of what's wrong with georgia recruiting has been kind of a summertime topic as far back as the summer of 20 what yeah, summer of 2017 uh when when uh, georgia was working on that uh 2018 recruiting class which ended up being the number one overall class but you'll remember sometime around like really actually around this time in that summer of 2017 like georgia's recruiting class was only ranked somewhere in like the 70s it was like 70 something for a while and in some respects way back then it wasn't just who georgia was missing out on but to be as honest as I'm capable of being here, some of the commits that Georgia was taking at the time, a lot of Georgia fans were like, "Ooh, what is what, what's going on here? Is this a is this a take? Is is this where Georgia is right now?" And the narrative was, and I actually addressed this on a a recent show not too long ago. The narrative was, "Well, okay, well Kirby Smart was able to offer a bunch of early playing time to a bunch of four and five star guys, mostly four star guys, but a bunch of big time prospects back for the class of 2017, and he was able to sell early playing time to them. Plus, he knew all those recruits because he had recruited them individually when he was a position, or I should say, a, a coordinator at Alabama. And so, it's one thing for you know Kirby to kind of put a number three class together in 2017, but the chickens are coming home to roost here for 2018. This young, inexperienced head coach." He's not able to do that again. And for a while there in 2018, it sort of seemed like that was kind of the case. It sort of seemed like, gosh, you know, Georgia, you know, Georgia needs to pick it up here in recruiting. They're 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 kind of in a weird spot here, fresh off having two straight top ten classes and Kirby Smart's, you know, first two years there on the job. And then, you know, Zamir White, you know, committed June twenty seventh of that year and all the stuff that kind of happened, you know, after that. And obviously Georgia went on to put a number one class together. But at the time, in the summer, things weren't looking too good. And I'll always give Jeff Sintel a ton of credit for this because when Jeff Sintel uh, said what he said here, this is this is summertime of 2017. This is before Georgia had won the SEC, before Georgia made the college football playoff, before Georgia beat Oklahoma in the Rose Bowl. This was early days of Kirby Smart. The only thing Georgia fans had in terms of evidence of Kirby Smart was – an uh, eight and five season in 2016 and then a number three recruiting class in 2017 to kind of tack on top of that but in kind of the early days of the 2018 class it seems like all that recruiting momentum was completely completely gone and on this show in that summer of 2017 kind of dark days for uga recruiting prior to the big breakthrough season on the field there in 2017 jeff Sintel relayed some inside information of how georgia coaches responded to all the fans on shows like this kind of you know expressing some anxiety and some angst about what was going on with UGA recruiting the audio is terrible but the uh, but the the story from Jeff Sintel is fantastic and it lives on all these years later here is a reminder of that I talk to a lot of recruits a lot of recruits kind of tell me that the Georgia coaches kind of laugh at all the headlines about woe is Georgia they can't put together back-to-back strong classes yada 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 those, those coaches according to the recruits I talk to feel very bullish about what they're going to build in 2018. But all those gifts haven't been unwrapped under the tree yet. So that's something for the fan base to pay close attention to over the next four or five months. 
It's kind of like going back in time to hear like the Bobby Thompson shot heard around the world. The Giants win the pennant. The Giants. Like, like that's only from the summer of 2017. I don't know why that audio has eroded so much. But uh, nonetheless, uh, that's Jeff Sintel way back then when the Georgia recruiting class was sort of ranked somewhere around 70th best in the country, saying the Georgia coaches laugh at Georgia fans who are worried about Georgia recruiting because the Georgia coaches know how this story is going to end. They know that there's a lot of gifts, as Jeff said, that haven't been un- unwrapped yet. And that prophecy became true. Georgia did finish that class number one overall and the reason why I kind of smile and think back on that is because literally seemingly around this time every single year there's the resurrection of oh what's wrong with Georgia recruiting even in a year like this when Georgia's ranked number one overall the point and the bottom line of the story is by the time you get to the conclusion here what we find out is oh there's actually nothing wrong with Georgia recruiting elite classes are still being formed important pieces are still being added that allow Georgia to win big games in the field and this year is going to be no different now before I shift gears on this let me also address the other topic that I mentioned there a moment ago because I have a sneaking suspicion on the basis of like my Twitter mentions and things like that that there probably are a few extra Florida fans tuned in on a day like this because they want to hear what I say. They want to hear what the chief Gator hater and our friend Eddie the Blind Squirrel, who's got his Gator hater sign, still holding it up in a full form and fashion. I think there are some Florida types that want to hear what I have to say on a day like this, in which Florida, admittedly, has beaten out Georgia for a recruit that happened yesterday. And Florida, admittedly, has had an amazing level of recruiting momentum. Going back to Sunday, they had four four-star commitments on that particular day. Another handful of those to yesterday, including Boyrow. They also added the five-star edge rusher, Jamonte Waller, yesterday. That's probably the biggest name of any that Florida's brought in here as of late. Undeniably, there is a lot of recruiting momentum from Florida here and for someone like me who's made so had said had so much fun over the years of kind of making fun of Florida I think a lot of Gators fans would like to hear on you know hear me on a day like this what I have to say will I give them some tears will I give them some gnashing of teeth will I give them you know uh, what they want to hear here on this well let me tell Florida fans what they need to hear it may not be what they want to hear this is what they need to hear though When it comes to collecting big-time recruiting wins, this is what you're supposed to do. You're Florida, for goodness sakes. The fact that you haven't been doing this for such a long time ought to be embarrassing. You ought to be winning recruiting battles. You ought to be stepping up and doing this kind of stuff on a regular basis. I mean, the fact of the matter is, the fact that Florida hasn't been doing this more frequently over the course of the last couple of years has actually been a major inconvenience for Georgia. I mean, Georgia would actually be in a little bit better position right now if Florida had been doing this kind of stuff over the course of the last couple of years because you don't have to go very far on the internet right now or cable television or you know talk radio, wherever you want to go. You don't have to go very far on that right now to hear a bunch of media types, especially like the national media types, and they're ragging on Georgia for Georgia's 2023 schedule. And they look at the 2023 schedule for Georgia and they say, oh, where's the big games? There's no challenges on the schedule. There's, there's, you know, this is the weakest schedule we've ever seen a national championship team potentially play. And in your mind, you may think that's a little bit of a knock on Georgia, but in actuality, that's a knock on you. Right now, you are so bad that you don't count as a quality win on Georgia's schedule. If you were better, it'd actually be to Georgia's benefit. So the fact that now you're finally winning a few of these recruiting battles to the extent that you're able to hold on to these guys, Jaden Rashad would remind us that none of this is a, you know, f- you know, firm and official until it's all said and done. But actually, if you'd been doing this a couple of years ago, you'd be actually in a little bit more of a convenient spot for Georgia here right now. Because let me tell you what somebody told me, and I have this on pretty good authority, that Kirby Smart desperately wanted to play Oklahoma this year. Oklahoma was supposed to be a non-conference game for Georgia with a return date back to Athens, uh, you know, a, a few years in the future. And with the changeover of the SEC, the SEC basically stepped in and told Georgia they couldn't do it. Uh, and the problem here is, is if you only played the one game, you didn't have the return date, you essentially would cost the Georgia program millions of dollars. But my understanding is, is that Kirby Smart, even with the financial cost, still kind of wanted to go play the game against Oklahoma and let the future sort of figure itself out. Because deep down, I think Kirby knows it'd be kind of nice to have a good marquee game. So in essence, because Florida's not better, Georgia's got to go try to find a marquee opponent somewhere else. And Florida not being better could have eventually cost Georgia like millions of dollars because they had to go play a road game without a home game coming back. Uh, That's how inconvenient Florida's ineptitude has been here for UGA. 
So congratulations on figuring out what you know shoes to put your feet in and actually finally stepping up and winning the occasional recruiting battle here. You should have been doing this the entire time. And you know, ho- you know, hopefully you've got this sort of figured out so you can actually be a quality opponent for Georgia moving forward because Georgia needs one. And whether it's an eight-game conference late in 2024 or eventually a nine-game conference late in uh, you know, 2025 and beyond, if that's indeed the direction the SEC moves – one way or another, we know that Georgia's going to be playing Florida each and every year. It's supposed to be the biggest game on the Georgia schedule, but Florida hasn't been good enough lately for that to be true. So this is the way that things are supposed to go. So welcome to the competition. Florida, Georgia's been here for a while. Nice to see you guys finally getting serious about football for a change. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. We are happy to have you with us, no matter how you get to us, live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, on the radio at noon, Athens Sports Radio 963. By the way, on video, we start each and every morning, 945, first and 15, dognation.com, Dog Nation app. Also, 10 a.m., uh, all video platforms, as I said, radio folks, in podcasts, Apple, Spotify, everything else. We're just glad to have you as a part of the show today. And a big thanks to our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia for making it all possible. You know, foundation waterproofing issues, that's what Engineered Solutions of Georgia is all about. And they're obviously proud partners of UGA. And while they've never told me this, my guess is, is one of the things that probably attracts ESOG to supporting Georgia, supporting UGA athletics, is the strong foundation that's in place there. You know, Florida's working very quickly here to kind of i guess rebuild a program that was proven to have been built on the sand for quite such a long time uh, georgia though built on the rock and uh, nobody respects firm foundations more than engineered solutions of georgia and my guess is they never said this my guess is that's one of the things that attracts them to uga and by the way in your own home front situation if you find that your foundation isn't quite as firm as it needs to be maybe you see evidence you know whether it be those like sort of you know cracks in the walls you know kind of unsettled stuff with your brick maybe something like that all of that can be a sign of a foundation issue and listen hopefully it doesn't take you nearly as wrong to fix your foundation as it's taken florida to fix theirs uh that's why you want to reach out and talk to our friends at engineered solutions of georgia plus it's like the waterproofing stuff too because a lot of the foundation stuff is ultimately caused by the water that kind of creeps in where it's not supposed to be so if you've got water coming to the basement when it rains if you've got garage crawl space all that stuff where you've got too much water where it's not supposed to be settling and creating creating that problem our friends and engineered solutions of georgia they want to help you fix that they are a solutions-based company they have an entire team of engineers on staff ready to work with you and solve your problems on all of that they've also got a great opportunity for you a fully transferable triple protection warranty on materials installation and design that's the kind of service they want to provide you great folks over there great team proud partners of uga longtime friends of ours here at dog nation daily so please give them a call 678-ESOG now that's 678-ESOG now all right before we do uh connor riley here in a moment go around the doghouse and stuff like that let me make what i think is a really really fun announcement i've been waiting to do this for quite some time and now it is official it is here we are ready to do it so a lot of folks have been asking hey ba can you tell us about this can you tell us about that well now i can unleash all the information for you to fully know this is uh for everyone's consumption here now the dog nation cruise is returning in 2024 and it's going to be bigger and better than it's ever been why is that because this upcoming year spring of 2024 april 22nd through the 26th we're going to be sailing on board allure of the seas that's right the dog nation crew is going to set sail on an oasis class ship these are the largest cruise ships at sea these are the most enjoyable entertaining the options and the uh the the variety of things you can do on board unlike anything you'll see on any other cruise ship and we're going to be on board allure of the seas It kind of represents kind of a new idea for royal caribbean where out of port canaveral where we'll sail out of just kind of a short drive here from the atlanta area where i'm talking to you right now they're actually going to offer an oasis class ship like this for the very first time on those three night four night sailings our dog nation crew is going to be a four night sailing uh and so this will be the first time ever they've actually offered an oasis class ship on one of these four night or three night sailings so this is kind of a cool new offering from royal caribbean and in honor of that we're going to book our dog nation cruise on board so all the great stuff that you've kind of known from a dog nation cruise in the past big nfl draft party on the you know near the end of the cruise uh all the fun entertainment things that we did specifically for our dog nation folks in fact even more of that to be announced here over the course of the uh, next few months but 
it's time now to get in, get going on this. Now, I will tell you that we did a little bit of a preview announcement of this with some folks who had kind of interacted with us before on Dog Nation Cruises. So we've actually already had a good number of staterooms that have kind of already been booked. A lot of our inventory is gone. We try to secure as much as we possibly could, but, you know, Royal Caribbean Cruises are just hot right now, right? They're selling out every ship every single time, everywhere they go. So they can only give us 200 staterooms. So all we have is 200 staterooms for the next year of selling this. Once the 200 are gone, we cannot get any more. That's all we were able to secure from Royal Caribbean here on this. So 200 staterooms, frankly, a good number of those kind of already been booked because we did do a little bit of a preview with the folks as a way of just sort of saying thanks to those who had done Dog Nation cruises with us in the past. So it's time now to act on this, to kind of learn all the great stuff about the Lure of the Seas, learn all the great stuff that specifically makes the Dog Nation cruise so much fun. I've heard so many of you say, you know, BA wasn't able to go this past year, but the next time I'm going to be on board. Well, guess what? Next time is now, now. So I want you to go to the website, royaldogs.com. You can find out all about the great Dog Nation cruise, royaldogs.com. April 22nd through the 26th of 2024, sailing on board an Oasis-class ship, the gorgeous, the beautiful allure of the seas, we're going to be there, and we want you to be a part of it. Now, I'll also say this very quickly as we kind of transition. Speaking of Royal Caribbean Cruises, I'm actually lucky enough to take my family on, and we can take that down now. I'm actually lucky enough to take my family on a Royal Caribbean cruise here this uh, this upcoming weekend. So today is going to be the last live show that we do. We have a great series of pre-recorded shows airing Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and then one again on Monday as I'm driving back from the cruise port. I mentioned this before. I actually recorded a, an interview with Jeff Sintel where we kind of get into a lot of the stuff as it relates to UJ recruiting, aftermath of the Elite 11 finals in California, kind of the latest and some sort of five-star type names that George is kind of going after. We're going to talk a lot of that with Jeff Sintel on Friday. It's, 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 it, let me try that one more time. A little tongue-tied there. It is an example of the kinds of shows we've tried to put together to uh, make it really, really fun here over the course of the next few days. I'm really, really looking forward to that. So I'm looking forward to a Royal Caribbean cruise. We've got some great shows. These will kind of be my final sort of summer type things. After the On the other side of this cruise, we've got our game face on. We have no more vacation days planned between now and the end of the season, which we believe comes in February. So we're going to be hardcore and ready to go coming up after that, and we cannot wait for that. Now, before I bring on Connor Riley, let me kind of transition here by doing Around the Doghouse here for a moment. And one of the things that I think has worked really well over the course of the last couple of you know short vacations that I've taken is we've kind of done a theme around some of those shows like we did some bold prediction stuff back in June or, or I should say you know late May uh, early June you want to go back to February we kind of talked about some of the Mount Rushmore stuff we had a good time with that people seem to enjoy that kind of stuff the feedback on that was pretty good so we have a little bit of a theme we're going to approach with some of these shows over the course of the next couple of days too and some questions in, in particular that I'm asking to some of our guests like Terrence Edwards and uh, Mike Griffith tomorrow and even Jake Fromm, who's going to be on the show on Monday, a really good conversation with Jake on Monday. One of the things we're talking about, as a way of kind of framing the upcoming season, we're going to do some over-under type stuff. I'm actually going to preview some of this with Connor here in a minute, depending on how much time we have, uh, how many questions I ask him. But basically looking at a question as it relates to the Georgia passing attack this season, the Georgia rushing attack, the Georgia defense, the overall outlook for uh, Georgia. I've already told you I believe that Georgia's going to go for three and 23 and win a third straight national championship. But when you kind of get under the hood and get more into the particulars, that's what some of these over-under questions are sort of designed to do. So I'll invite you to kind of weigh in on some of this there as well. You want to hit me up at Dog Nation Daily on Twitter, put it in the comments section. You can kind of share some of your own thoughts on that. We'll probably take this into the next week when I return there from that too because I think – I mean, I hate to toot my own horn here, but I believe I've come up with some very, very clever uh, over-under type numbers that kind of create some room for debate and some discussion. So we'll get ready to do that coming up in just a little bit and go ahead and make that around the doghouse for today. So before we're done on today's program, I'll talk maybe a little bit more about some of the Florida stuff because I think there's kind of, an, you know, not including the Georgia part of this. I think there's another kind of interesting angle uh, on all of this. It's probably worth discussing, and this is one of the reasons why a lot of us love SEC-style recruiting drama. We'll kind of address some of that here in a little bit. Nick Saban is whining again. It's hard to um, imagine this even possible, but whining again about not making the college football playoffs, so we'll laugh at that here coming up in just a little bit. Uh, that's going to be fun. But before that, 
everything as it relates to Georgia football, everything going on with these dogs, including the uh, recruits that Georgia is winning with and the recruits that are still out there, and obviously the uh, momentum coming together for that uh, 2023 season and a few over-unders is going to help frame all of that there as well. Let's get ready to bring on Connor Riley today. Always great to have him on the program. Great to have you as well here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by ESOG. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Connor Riley joins us here, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Always great to have him on the show. Connor, I've got a lot of ground I want to cover with you. Some of this related to what you've written at DogNation.com. Some of this is a way of kind of framing what the next few days with the shows are going to look like around here. But prior to that, let me bring you in on a topic I know you've got some opinions on. I kind of jokingly said before you joined us, that this is one of those important benchmarks we sort of arrive at every year. No matter how well Georgia's performing in recruiting, there's always the portion of the summer where we end up asking what's wrong with Georgia recruiting, and we've sort of reached the what's wrong with Georgia recruiting portion of this summer. Georgia lost on a recruit yesterday uh, to Florida. There's uh, you know, a little bit of chatter about five-star this and five-star that who may be uh, going elsewhere here right now. Clearly, the Gators do have some recruiting momentum. We're not going to deny they don't. We're going to be honest about that. So, you know, what do you make of kind of maybe a little bit of a reset of expectations where Georgia may still have the number one overall class, probably will, but it may not be the greatest of all time. You know, Georgia's going to certainly bring in a bunch of very impressive offensive playmakers to go along with Dylan Riola, but maybe not quite the same level at one point in time Georgia fans sort of fantasized about. What do you make of the conflict here between expectations and reality as it relates to Georgia recruiting? Sounds like people are doubting Kirby Smart and uh, this coaching staff at the moment in terms of what they're going to be able to do and the recruiting class they're going to be able to sign. And, look, he's been doing this. I think this is going to be his eighth season at Georgia. It's his ninth recruiting class, technically. Georgia's going to finish with the number one class in the country. There are going to be guys that they miss out on uh, that don't turn out well. And look, we have history to, to back this up. Uh, you want to go back to 2019 when Jaden Hazelwood decommitted from Georgia and ended up at Oklahoma? Okay, they went out and signed George Pickens. We know how those two college careers turned out. George Pickens was a better collegiate player than Jaden Hazelwood was. Uh, that same 2019 class, uh, Owen Popo from Grayson High School, ends up going to Auburn, has a very good college career. Georgia goes out into Mississippi and lands N'Kobe Dean. Who had a better college career, N'Kobe Dean or Owen Popo? Sure. I think we know the answer to that there. Uh, you know, look, Georgia's not going to sign every in-state five-star prospect. They never have. Um, you can go back and look specifically at the 2020 class if you're currently fretting about the fact that it looks like Edric Houston is going to end up at Ohio State. Sammy Brown has already committed to Clemson. Landon Thomas going to Florida State. Uh, Mike Matthews, maybe Tennessee or USC there. In 2020 recruiting class, there were 20 top 200 overall players in the state of Georgia. Georgia signed two of them, Broderick Jones and Tate Ratledge. Georgia still finished with the number one overall recruiting class that year. And a lot of the guys at the top of that class, Jalen Carter, Keeler Ringo, Darnell Washington, all played massive roles in Georgia winning back-to-back national titles here. Uh, you're right in, in pointing out it seems like there's always a time on the calendar there. We've now got enough time and, and data in terms of looking at Kirby Smart and the way he's recruited over the years to know and have an understanding that Georgia's going to be just fine when it comes to recruiting, and specifically in this class with the work that they've already laid with guys like Dylan Raiola, Raiola, excuse me, Ellis Robinson, uh, some of the guys that they've already had committed, Jaden Riddell, Georgia's going to be just fine in this recruiting class. And, and I expect better than just fine. I expect them to once again have the number one class. And, look, this is a team that they've always done big work late in December. Uh, you know, last year landing, Damon Wilson comes to mind there. There are going to be guys that aren't on the radar right now, especially maybe near the top uh, of these, these top prospects. Georgia makes a big move for late and probably ends up landing that we're not talking about right now. And in fairness, because of all the facts you just recited, that's why I think at this point in time, the what's wrong with Georgia recruiting questions are mostly sarcastic. I think I think for the yeah. most for the most part it's all kind of done in good fun now. And I think people are a little bit more self aware as they do that. Uh but it but it is also a reminder too of like you know, no matter how great you are in recruiting, you still don't quite get everybody, right? And, and there are some negative recruiting pitches that just kind of die hard, and they and they do live on, even if the uh, actual facts on the ground don't necessarily support them necessarily. But on a slightly different point, as I talked about off the top of the program, 
I mean, I'm the biggest Gator hater that there is, and yet I'm not going to lie to people. Florida's got a pretty impressive level of recruiting momentum right now. But as I told the Gators fans who probably tuned in to hear what they hope are tears from me on this, this is what you're supposed to do. You should have been doing this years ago. And if you had, Georgia would actually have a better-looking schedule here right now that Florida's ineptitude has actually been a level of inconvenience here for a UGA. So on the flip side of all of this, what do you make of the fact that what Florida is doing right now is it, it's sizable? I mean, it's it's maybe what they should have been doing all along, but at least they're doing it now. What do you make of the uh, sudden momentum that Billy Napier has put together here? Yeah, I'll have some more thoughts on this later on uh, DogNation.com later today, but it's a good thing for the Georgia rivalry. Florida should always be recruiting at this level. Uh, it, it shouldn't take this long. It shouldn't have been this long since Florida is recruiting at a level where they're getting multiple, you know, six, seven, top 100 overall players. And, and look, Georgia's not recruiting all those guys. The guy they landed yesterday at a Creekside High School was a guy Georgia wanted, and Georgia didn't end up getting. Like Florida needs to win some of those recruiting battles, and and look, this is this is going to be Billy Napier's third, in essence, recruiting class. And yes, he had a very short time to put together that first one. But, you know, last year's recruiting class, for a variety of reasons, was just not up to snuff with Florida. And I do think that that contributed in some ways to the way this Florida program is seen going into the 2023 season. And while, yes, it, Florida and Billy Napier, who I generally believe is a good coach, like, you know, is he going to be a great coach? Is he going to a national championship? Probably lean no there. But I generally believe he knows what he's doing and he knows how to build. The problem is that, you know, he, I think, stepped into maybe a bigger mess than he wanted to. And because he had tried to do a sort of slow build, I think he really put himself behind an eight ball. You know, we, we talked about this before. The over-under for Florida wins this year is five and a half, meaning yeah. I think there's a very real world where they go five and seven. Or maybe, you know, if things break the wrong way, they go four and eight. And, and while, well, yes, you're bringing in a talented crop of recruiting kids, that are going to, I think, have a chance to play right away. Florida's got 11 Power 5 programs on their schedule next year, and all the elite programs in the SEC are going to face tougher competition. There's not going to be a South Carolina, Missouri, Vanderbilt on that on that Florida schedule next year. They're going to places like LSU, Texas, uh, that come to mind there. And, and so, you know, while, yes, it's great, and Billy Napier should be commended for the job that it seems like he's now finally doing in terms of bringing in these elite recruits, if they don't make progress quickly in this season and next season, Billy Napier may not be around long enough to see this recruiting class really get to a point where they're the backbone of that Florida program. Uh, you know, Florida fans were quick to point out, oh, well, Kirby Smart in year one, they, he lost games to, to Ole Miss in blowout fashion, and they lost to, to Vanderbilt. Yeah, and then in year two, he went to the national championship game. I think we'd be floored if Billy Napier gets the national championship game in year two under Florida. And, and so he's got, in my opinion, a really steep uphill climb. And while these recruiting steps, I think, are important ones for him to take, they've got to go a long way in the field this season to, to get to a point where this recruiting class is going to be able to make a difference for them. Yeah, it's going to be a fascinating next year or so around that Gainesville campus, to be sure. All right, tomorrow, Connor, begins kind of my final vacation days of the summer. We're going to take a Royal Caribbean cruise this weekend. I'm really excited about that. And I'm also excited about the shows we're kind of putting together while I'm gone. We always like to have a Dog Nation Daily. It's not Dog Nation Daily unless you do it every day. So we'll do it even when we're enjoying a little bit of vacation. But the last couple of times I've gone out of town, one of the things we've done with the shows, we've had a little bit of a theme, you know, kind of you know, uh, with, with some of our guest questions and some things like that. The feedback I've gotten on stuff like this has actually been pretty good. So I kind of try to come up with sort of another sort of theme type topic for the next couple of days. And what I did was I worked on a few over under type questions in terms of framing what to expect from Georgia here this season. I've already said that I believe that Georgia wins the national championship. So from that standpoint, it's not really worth talking about that too much because we've kind of already gone on the record. But to get a little bit more specific and more granular about the upcoming season, I've, I'm asking all of my guests some over-under questions that relates to Georgia. I think these numbers are actually pretty good, although that comes at the risk of being a little too self-satisfied uh, uh, here for a moment. But I want to kind of set the stage for the next couple of days by asking you a couple of these questions. Would you mind participating in this as a way of kind of framing what the next couple of days is going to be like? I would love nothing more. That's great to hear. Let me begin with this. And you've got a really good story about the number 15 up at dognation.com, which I think is interesting. Right now, that number is worn by Carson Beck. So let's look at Carson Beck. I'm going to set the over-under for Beck at 27 touchdown passes for the upcoming season. Would you go over or under the 27 here for Beck? 27 is the number that Stetson Bennett had in 
15 games last year. Stetson also had 10 rushing touchdowns. I'm going to take the over here. I think Georgia's going to have a better passing offense this year, and there are questions about what they have in the running game. Carson Beck is also not the same level of athlete that Stetson was, and so I think in the red zone area, he's going to have to be a little bit sharper in terms of his passes, and that's going to lead to more potential touchdown passes in that area. So, you know, I don't think it's going to be something grand like 40, but could it be, you know, in that 31, 32, 33 range where if they're playing 15 games, he gets there. I do think that I'm going to take the over there on 27. Is that an easy answer for you, or is that a deliberating answer? I think it's easy because I do think that the strength of this Georgia team is in its pass-catching players this year, along with its obvious offensive line. I think it's really set up in that aspect to allow Carson to take some more shots downfield and have that. The only thing that would maybe hold me back from that is because Georgia's schedule is so weak and they're not playing a lot of tough games. You know, you saw Stetson last year put up big touchdown numbers in games against Oregon, LSU, Ohio State, and then obviously against TCU the national championship game. To kind of juice those numbers up, if they're just playing blowout opponents every week, that would be the only thing that gives me some pause about Carson getting to that 30 number. Another or 27 qu- number as you laid out. Another question we're going to be asking here this week is, let's look at Georgia's leading rusher. Not quite so specific on the name here, just whoever that leading rusher ends up being. I'm going to set the number at 843 yards. You want to go over or under 843 for Georgia's leading rusher this season? I'm going to take the under there. I don't know who it is, and until I am proven otherwise, I don't know that there's a running back that I trust that can be healthy for 15 games to, to get to that kind of number. You know, Kenny, Kenny, I'm guessing that's how many rushing yards he had a season ago. Kenny McIntosh. Georgia hasn't had a thousand yard rusher since DeAndre Swift in 2019. And, you know, I, I do think that they're going to go back by committee. They've done that for a few years now. And while I think Kendall Milton has the talent to get there, you know, he's got to prove that he can stay healthy for an entire season. And, and if he's able to do that, if you're telling me Carson, Kendall Milton has a clean bill of health in all 15 games this season, yeah, he probably gets over that number. But until I see that, because he's had injuries every season at Georgia, and he got injured again this spring, until we see that, I have to you know hedge a little bit there. So I'm going to take the under. And it's not because of lack of talent. It's just I don't know who's going to be healthy enough to be able to be in a position to get to that number over the course of the year. Yeah, the 843, slightly more than McIntosh had last season, slightly less than Zamir White had the year before. To give you kind of an idea how I came up with these numbers, go back to the quarterback thing, it's actually kind of a coincidence that the 27 uh, is the same as the number that Bennett had a year ago. I mean, I did notice that, but I really kind of based that on quarterbacks in the Kirby Smart era, quarterbacks in the Mike Bobo era, going back to his time as play caller. Obviously, a lot of that was Aaron Murray and trying to look at kind of the low water mark, the high water mark, and try to sort of match something that I felt, you know, kind of, you know, fit the full gamut of possibilities there. Just so happens it was the same number that Bennett had had the previous year. And once again, for Georgia, you know, it's important to note that I think recent history probably weighs a lot more heavily than kind of previous history where you want to go back, you know, 2017, 2018, even 2019, you know, Georgia was easily producing thousand yard rushers in 17, 18, they produced a pair of them in 2019, you know, uh, DeAndre Swift went over a thousand, but something around 2020 just sort of changed for this team. Obviously they played fewer games in 2020, but in 2021 and 2022, the way in which Georgia's cho- chosen to use its running game is just different than it used to be. I think they're still very effective, obviously. They won the last two national championships, so clearly the formula is working. But they just use running backs different than they used to, and I think a lot of that's just based on the fact they just kind of throw it more than they used to. Right. It's telling that in Todd Munkin's three years here, as successful as he was as a play caller, Georgia didn't have a 1,000-yard rusher in that time. Now, you know, Mike Bogue had a lot of great success with running backs in his time at Georgia, specifically those last couple of years, 2012, 2013, 2014. We had Todd Gurley and he had Nick Chubb in there. So I'll be interested in seeing what this team looks like. The personnel that he's working with is obviously a good bit better. And as I wrote in my story on Carson Beck and Dylan Rayola uh, on Monday, when Mike Bogle was the last offensive coordinator here, Georgia was in a position where he was competing for national championships. Now it's at a point where it's winning national championships in a year-out-year basis. So that's sort of the expectation that he was walking into. It's a little bit of a different job for him. So I'll be interested in seeing – how he goes about making these pieces fit into what Kirby Smart wants out of this Georgia offense. I've got a couple more questions I want to ask. I don't want to take this you know, too long here, but the other thing I think about the Georgia running attack is, is you look at other comparable college football offenses the last couple of years. What we saw is 
when the passing game really exploded, the running game very much benefited. You know, the old school thing is you run to set up the pass. I believe college football now has become a sport where you pass to set up the run. And you look at the emergence of Trevor Lawrence at Clemson. That did tremendous things for Travis Etienne. You can sort of cite some of the stuff that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was able to do while playing alongside Joe Burrow. Even some of the stuff for like Najee Harris at Alabama seemingly really benefited from that big explosive passing attack. I kind of believe, Connor, whether it happens this year with Carson Beck or some future year with a different quarterback, when the Georgia passing game finally achieves its sort of optimum capabilities, I think the floodgates are going to open for the Georgia rushing attack too. And at that point in time, as you know, kind of, I guess, counterintuitive as it might be, I think you actually may see Georgia return to having those 1,000-yard rushers again the moment the passing attack becomes fully optimized i'm not quite so sure we've gotten there completely as of yet clearly a successful formula but maybe not kind of like peak georgia offense as of yet i'm gonna push back there a little bit in the sense that you know georgia's ever going to quote unquote get there in some of the examples you laid out there you know clemson with trevor lawrence uh that 2020 alabama team that 2019 lsu team those teams all leaned on their offenses I, I still believe going forward, Kirby Smart is going to try to set up and protect and put his defense in a position to, to, to you know, be the, the decisive maker on this team in terms of what they're going to do and how they're going to go about winning games. And look, Jeff Sandell has spoken at length about, you know, the talent that this defense is going to have in the 2023, 2024, and 2025 seasons there. And so while I think Georgia's operating on a more efficient level, certainly, than it has in you know those early years under Kirby Smart, I don't know that Kirby Smart's ever going to say, hey, you know what, we're just going to try and win games with our offense. He wants to play complementary football and continue to do so. And so because of that, I do think that there are going to be times where Kirby you know, lets off the gas proverbially, so to speak, there in terms of what he wants to do from this team because he still, I think, wants to play with his defense and have his defense be a difference maker in a way, I think, on that 2020 uh, Alabama team and certainly that 2019 LSU team, the defense was not. So looking at the Georgia defense here for a moment, and depending on how long this goes, we may make this our last one for right now. Um, I have the over-under set at three first-team All-SEC Georgia defenders. Do you want to go over-under three first-team All-SEC players for Georgia this season? Is this at the end of the season or the preseason? This is the end of the season. I will take the over there. Uh, give me Malachi Starks. Give me Kamari Lasseter. It should be Shmal Munden, but it's going to be Jermon Dumas Johnson. And I will say Michael Williams is your fourth one. There. Yeah, I have- uh, those. Those are the four. I think you brought up a point the other day, which I've kind of gone back to a little bit, is, you know, in terms of having an all-SEC type season, you know, is Smile Monin healthy enough to be able to do that? Now, eventually, he's, I believe, every reason to believe he's going to be healthy enough for Georgia's very biggest games. He may be a little bit like Jalen Carter was. It's like when Georgia really needs him, they'll just turn him loose and he'll go out there and do it. But to be an all-SEC guy in a competitive league like this, you may need a full season. And you kind of expressed some concern the other day about whether or not Mondin's going to be able to play a full season for Georgia. Is that fair? Yeah, no, that, that, that's a good point to bring up there. Uh, I, I just I find it interesting in the way some of the national media ha- has viewed uh, Jermon and Schmalman. And, you know, Schmal did miss time last season, and, and he's obviously you know missed the spring game, and I expect him to be somewhat limited in fall camp. Possibly, you know, Georgia brings him along slowly to start the season, given uh, the lack of a tough opponent to really open the 2023 season. I just think from a talent standpoint, I, I think Schmal can do more, can offer you more, and Jamon, while well, yes, he was impressive at times last year, I thought he really wore down over the course of the season. And so I'll be interested with him if he's able to main, better maintain consistency now that he's able in year two to have experienced a full SEC season. And the fact that I think Georgia is just deeper at inside linebacker this season. You know, Davian Story, I think, is going to be a guy that Georgia plays a little bit more than they have and rotated certainly in years past. Jalen Walker. I think he'd be the best player on 10 SEC defenses this year, and Georgia's going to find a role for him. What that is, I don't know. Uh, that's why they play get Glenn Schumann and Will Muschamp the big money to figure out how to get a guy like Jalen Walker onto the field. And so I, I'm betting – I feel comfortable betting on Schmal's talent, but maybe the national perception just keeps Jermon on there because, uh, of, because, as you point out, the availability and the fact that you know, he just seems like the most consistent Georgia linebacker. So on the theme of shows for next week, one of the things I'm going to do on Monday show, Connor, is 
it's time to make your official predictions. I've kind of hinted at mine for a while and sort of nibbled at this meal for a little while. I mean, we're almost SEC media days. It's time to like go on the record. So uh, over the course of the next couple of days, order of finish in the SEC East, which I actually thought was fairly easy, order of finish in the SEC West, which is maybe a little bit more fun. But I also made my college football playoff picks. I got to tell you right now, and I love making opinions. I love giving picks. I love doing stuff like that. I hate my playoff picks. And clearly, I would not intentionally have bad picks. I'm trying to do the best I possibly can. Connor, I'm borderline ashamed. I'm not going to reveal them now. I'm going to wait and do this on Monday. I'm borderline, I'm borderline ashamed of my playoff picks. Uh, I think finding four this year is a little bit tricky. And... You know, I think one or two of them are pretty easy, uh, but you know, but you got to have four in the playoff. We got one more year of a fourteen playoff. I do not think picking your four this year is particularly easy. Have you have you figured out your four as of yet? Where are you on the evolution of your playoff picks here right now? You know, BA, I'm a procrastinator. I'm going to put this off as long as I can. You know, August August is usually my time when I really you know put the metal down and, and, and figure this out. And I'll point out last year at. Uh, at our Marlowe's event there, I did tell everyone that Georgia was winning the national championship, yep. but it was not nearly as popular as I think it was going to be this season. And I proved that to be correct there. So I haven't necessarily put a ton of thought into it just yet. I do think Georgia's going to be there. I think Ohio State is going to be there. I think Michigan is going to be there. And if I had to make a fourth team right now, you know, it's June. I'm going to be able to come back and revisit this. I'm sure, you know, we might have some slight disagreements here. I feel really not great about doing this. I think a Pac-12 team is going to be the fourth team, and I think it's going to be Washington. Wow. I think that is a team. They have the receivers coming back. Kalen DeBoer, uh, their head coach, is a guy that has always gotten great offense out of his teams. Uh, I have a lot of questions about Dan Lanning and what he's going to be able to get out of Oregon this year. And then with USC, I just they're not good enough on the lines of scrimmage to, to win consistently there. And while I do think that Caleb Williams is a fantastic player in year two under Lincoln Riley, I have to see it to sort of believe that USC has gotten over that and that Lincoln Riley, for really the first time in his career, has prioritized the defensive line and, and that defense as a whole because they got run out of the building by Utah twice last year. I know it was a close game the first time they played, but they still gave up 40 points both times they played them. And then, you know, they go and lose to Tulane in their bowl game, and bowl games aren't everything. But this is a team that very clearly it just does not believe in playing on two sides of the football there. So give me Washington, give me Ohio State, give me Michigan, and give me Georgia. That is your four-team college football playoff. So let me ask a quick follow-up. You can answer this quick if you want to. Um, of the like sort of commonly considered playoff contenders who's the easiest fade for you i mean obviously we hear who you're putting in we know now who you're not putting in of those other teams be it the clemsons the alabamas the lsus the you know any of those teams who's the easiest fade for you i will actually i'm going to say lsu here and i actually so coming out of last season i was kind of thinking oh you know lsu i think that might be you know my preseason SEC West pick, and now everyone is on LSU, it seems. I have a lot of questions about how deep they are in the defensive line. And, you know, that was a team last year. Yes, they beat Alabama. They got blown up by Georgia. They got blown out by Tennessee. And they lost to a horrible Texas A&M team. I think some people might be putting the cart before the horse there. And while you know, Jaden Daniels did some nice things and Garrett Nussemeyer did some really nice things when he replaced Daniels against Georgia there, I think there's a little bit of this team is a little too ahead of schedule, and they play a tricky schedule next year. You know, Florida State and Orlando to open the season, Alabama on the road. Uh, so it, it's going to be interesting to see how LSU does. I don't think this team is quite as deep uh, as they need to be. And while you know they have, I think, a good 22 starters, I don't think they have the depth necessary to push and make it into the college football playoff connor uh fascinating stuff always a fun conversation we appreciate that we'll look forward to reading plenty of you at dognation.com the next couple of days and then back here uh live on dog nation daily presented by engineered solutions of georgia very uh soon after that thanks for your time yep as always it's a pleasure let's take a look around the rest of the league this is sec through so the one point you're gonna hear me make about lsu a little bit over the course of the next couple of days is this that connor says well everybody's picking lsu now there was a time in this calendar year when that was not true. And I'm like kind of a contrarian by nature, meaning I like to be on the opposite side of prevailing public opinion. 
that's like the best and the worst thing about me at time to time, uh, I, I think probably. And the idea that picking LSU while a lot of other people are picking LSU uh, to win the West or whatever else, you know, that seems a little bit of a crowded corner to stand on. But you can go back a few months ago. That was not the case. We said this at the time. Think back to like January, February, when those kind of way too early playoff picks were starting to come out. Way too early top 25s were starting to come out. You didn't see any of those ranking Alabama ahead of LSU. I should say LSU ahead of Alabama. You didn't see any of those at the time that were favoring LSU in comparison to Alabama. If that's starting to happen now, that's only kind of a recent opinion. So I think it's important to note that if you're the kind of person that doesn't like making the same pick everybody else makes, it hasn't always been true this year that, quote-unquote, everybody was on LSU. I would maybe stand up and dispute that just a little bit. Uh, speaking of Alabama, we've got a very interesting note on Nick Saban here coming up in just a moment. Prior to that, though, let's get ready to go cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And literally, this is truth in advertising because I am getting ready to go cruising around with Royal Caribbean. Looking forward to taking my family on a short Royal Caribbean cruise here this weekend. It's one of my favorite things about Royal Caribbean. You get the three-night options. You get the four-night options. You want the seven-night options, kind of the full Royal Caribbean experience. Whatever fits your schedule and everything, other consideration, Royal Caribbean's kind of got the great option there for you. It's one of the reasons why the Dog Nation Cruise, which, by the way, earlier in the show, we announced returns in 2024 on board an Oasis-class ship, Allure of the Seas. It's one of the reasons why we do the Dog Nation Cruise the way that we do is because, you know, a lot of folks, especially during that time of year, they got a lot going on. You know, weekends are packed with kids' activities, things like that. So you set sail on a Monday, you're back on a Friday. It's really, really convenient. Or like the cruise that we're taking over the course of this weekend. You miss a couple days of work, boom, we put you right back there and kind of back at it again the following week. It's just a really convenient option. So I like to take my cruise out of Port Canaveral. I uh, live and work here in the Atlanta area. That's just a short drive for me. You kind of go past Orlando right there to the coast and you're there. Super convenient, super fun. And that's what our Dog Nation crew is going to be about there as well. So Jessica Slater is a great travel agent. She's put together a great website. It's called RoyalDogs.com. If you want to go there, you can find out information right now about the Dog Nation cruise in 2024. But also kind of use that as a springboard for other Royal Caribbean cruise uh, opportunities, whether it be, you know, on board Icon of the Seas this upcoming January uh, or just anything else. Uh, the Dog Nation cruise is one we're really excited about. But that's, as you know, not the only Royal Caribbean cruise I plan on taking. Uh, so there you go there on that, RoyalDogs.com, for more on that today. All right, so let's get ready to go cruise around the SEC here for a moment. And frankly, at this point in time, I'm embarrassed for Nick Saban. I'm not even referencing the very weird like virtual reality video that one of his family members shared with him with the glasses on, swinging in air. That's not the most embarrassing thing that Nick Saban's had attributed to him as of late. No, instead, uh, Nick Saban, who does all kinds of interviews, like Nick Saban is like a media gadfly at this po you know portion of his career. He'll essentially do an interview with anybody as long as they'll trade some favorable coverage in response. Uh, but he sat down with Joel Klatt. Joel Klatt is kind of like the wannabe Kirk Herbstreit. This is like Fox's uh, attempt to sort of build a Kirk Herbstreit type figure on their broadcast. And I don't think Klatt's a bad analyst. I really don't. They're trying to make him notable the way that Kirk Herbstreit has been for such a long time. And so, you know, getting a chance to sit down with Nick Saban is a good step in that direction for Joel Klatt. Uh, I don't think that Saban did himself any favors for his overall public perception, at least for those who are willing to be objective about Saban in this stage of his career. He does a lot of whining these days, whining about, you know, having to play LSU, Auburn, and Tennessee every year in the expanded nine-game SEC, even though Alabama's been playing those same three teams year after year after year, uh, whining about NIL and just lots of whining about Nick from Nick Saban, whining about injuries. Georgia fans still remember that. But also now still whining about not making the college football playoff in uh, 2022, telling Joel Klatt the problem with the way the whole system is, there's no accounting uh, for that. All we do is take teams that win the most games at the end of the year, put them in the playoffs. But do you really get the best teams, he asked. When they told me that we'd be favored against three out of the four teams that got in the playoff, I'm like, well, then why aren't we in the playoffs? Like, I'm honestly embarrassed for Nick Saban, the fact that he is pushing this argument of, well, if we're the point spread favor, what's the point of even playing the games? Let's just crown us national champions. I don't have to tell you this because you already know, and it feels like an insult to your intelligence to tell you something you already know. But just so the record fully accounts for this, let's let it be known that the games in which Alabama has lost in recent years, including to LSU last year and to Tennessee last year, these were games in which Alabama was a sizable point spread favorite. 
So the notion that the, 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 the status of what Las Vegas says or some sports book says determines who ought to be in the college football playoff, Alabama has had a hard time as of late winning games in which it has been a point spread favorite. And surely to goodness, Nick Saban must know that. But the idea that you could lose twice and say, well, we'd be a favorite against this team and a favorite against that team. We ought to just be in the playoff. All they want to do is put the teams in that win the most games. Like that is just such an un it's unpresidential is what it is you know there's a certain like level of dignity we like for our coaches to have and if you've seen the video where Saban where he's like you know with the virtual reality goggles on uh you know flailing away and fighting some you know imaginary creature uh as undignified as that made Saban look trust me when I tell you this particular level of commentary from Saban is even more undignified than that you cannot be whining about everything under the sun you can't be whining about we didn't make the playoff despite the fact we lost two games. We would have been a point spread favorite over so-and-so. Uh, can't be whining about injuries. Can't be whining about who you have to play. Can't be whining about NIL. It's like, is there anything in this sort of like late stage of Nick Saban's career, the winter of his career, that he's not choosing to whine about right now? Like, like you know, I, I'm sure Nick Saban would like to go out on top. That may not be that, – that, that opportunity may not be available for him on the field. But at least you can kind of go out on top in terms of how you carry yourself, how you project yourself. And right now, Nick Saban, I think, is less uh, than what he used to be. And, uh, you know, whether he wins enough games to conclude his career or not to make himself feel satisfied, one of these days he's going to look back on kind of how he handled those final days as an Alabama coach. And I think that I think he may not be completely proud of this chapter of his coaching life we will uh, see about that and to kind of circle back on a topic that we talked about a little earlier in the show undeniable unquestioned Florida recruiting momentum we're going to talk about this a little earlier from kind of the vantage point of how a Georgia fan views all of this but there's also an element in which during this portion of the show we just sort of talk about the SEC and I gotta tell you I love the drama of the SEC I love it and I think the stuff with Florida here right now is kind of fascinating because of you know uh, of how it kind of contributes to the SEC recruiting drama. Specific, uh, I've gotten tongue-tied a couple times today. Specifically around the idea of Jamonte Waller, the five-star edge rusher who actually hails from the state of Mississippi. And there are a lot of people who sort of um, see the Waller thing as a little bit of a response to the Austin Simmons stuff. Do you remember we talked about that yesterday? How, you know, uh, Ole Miss stepped in and flipped Simmons, the quarterback committed to Florida, the class of 2025. They flipped him to Ole Miss and then reclassified him to the class of 2023. The rumor of Simmons reclassifying had been out there for quite some time. A lot of Florida fans thought that's what he was going to do with their program. He ends up doing that for Ole Miss. And not only did Ole Miss win that recruiting battle, but Lane Kiffin kind of went on on social media and sort of spiked the football uh, about that. And so going out and getting Waller from Mississippi feels like a little bit of a Florida revenge tactic on the heels of losing Simmons yesterday, which I think sort of speaks to, you know, there is a reason that most coaches don't act like Lane Kiffin on social media because stuff like this ends up kind of blowing up in your face sometimes. You know, the idea of retweeting message board geniuses or whatever it is that Lane Kiffin's doing, you know, in any given day. Uh, you know, it's like Kiffin's not quite winning enough with recruits, certainly high school recruits, uh, and not quite winning enough on the field to be quite as boastful as he turns out to be sometimes. Do you remember the game in Tuscaloosa back in 2021 when he slammed down the CBS headset and said, get your popcorn ready? basically promising to put on a show against Alabama that day. Uh, Ole Miss got completely torched in an embarrassing fashion. Uh, you know, a, a more veteran, dignified coach would have known better than to do what Lane Kiffin did in that particular moment. And I think when you, you know, uh, go out there and have a moment like this with Simmons and then lose an in-state guy to Florida the, de- the next day, also an example of why coaches don't necessarily do this. Now, I'll also say because of the sort of very rapid nature of the Waller commitment of all the recruits that Florida's gotten in the last couple of days, you know, the one you might be most questioning, well, will this one really stick? Waller might be the one that you kind of question that about. Uh, and I don't say that as a way of like trolling Florida or even being like, you know, hating on Florida. Uh, I've, I've told you now a couple of times that what Florida's done in recruiting the last couple of days is sizable. It is respectable. It is what they should have maybe been doing the entire time, but at least they're doing it now. So from that standpoint, they've earned the right Florida fans have to feel you know good about what they've done. I'm certainly not going to throw a whole bunch of cold water on that necessarily. 
but Waller, I think, is the one pledge of the last couple of days where you're kind of left to wonder, just given the overall nature of that recruitment, the quick way in which it kind of emerged here for Florida, is this one that's likely to stick? Uh, certainly, it seems like there's many more chapters to come in that recruiting story overall. But ultimately, that's what we love about SEC uh, football recruiting, big drama, backs and back and forth, stealing one you know, one school stealing one team's player, the other school going into that same state to pull another player. That's what makes it fun, and that's why we do it every day, cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. So fun series of pre-recorded shows for us the next couple of days. One thing I was wise enough to do was also bank a few golden shoes. So actually, we're going to have a great golden shoe every single day while I'm gone, including two on Friday. So we're in pretty good shape there on that. And also a great one to share with you here today there as well. In fact, let's do that right now. Vindog. How about this? This is great to see. Uh, he won a golden shoe the other day on his first tweet ever, which was really cool. And he says, my second greatest moment of 2023, aside from becoming a back-to-back national champion, because my boys and I were thrilled to meet you at the Orange Bowl going back to uh, last January uh, there in Miami. And he uh, has a nice little uh, collection of Georgia gear here, including a picture of his family with me there in Miami, which is a very nice thing. I, I'm very, very thankful for the opportunity to meet a great bunch of dog fans. And Vin Dog, appreciate you sharing that. We'll give you a golden shoe for that, too. So your ratio to tweets to golden shoes is actually pretty high right now. The analytics crowd is going to love that. Uh, so good stuff, Vin Dog. Congratulations. Lousy stinking Gators winning some recruiting battles right now, but losing on the field when it counts, including 130 days from right now at the hands of the Georgia Bulldogs. Folks, this is why we do the Gator Hater Countdown every single day because Florida may be a lifeless carcass for a good number of years, but they never planned on staying dormant forever. So when they finally do start trying again, playing at full speed again, they have the Georgia Bulldogs to contend with, including 130 days from right now. Florida may just be arriving to the battle, but Georgia's been here and doesn't have any plans of going anywhere including uh, in the cocktail party coming up next October. That is our Gatorade Countdown. We will see you back here tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily presented by ESOG.